0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We are celebrating today the great feast of the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the great Christological feasts in the churches calendar. It is, a, in some senses, a theophany. Do you, do you remember what a theophany is? A revelation of God or a manifestation of God. And of course, we think of theophany primarily in terms of the baptism of Christ, when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon our Lord Jesus Christ it, as he was baptized. And then the Uh, Voice of the Father spoke and in this case too we have a manifestation of the Trinity we have the Voice of the Father speaking from heaven saying of our Lord This is my beloved son in whom you are well pleased and the Holy Spirit This time is not present as a dove but present in the cloud as the cloud that envelops all of uh, the, the scene. And the sun, of course, is right there in the center of it. And so this is also then a, an epiphany or a theophany, a manifestation of the power of God himself. It's also, though, intricately connected to the idea of the kingdom of God and how God's coming into the world transforms everything. Christ himself and his human nature, but also everything that there is in the world. Uh, I want to point to a couple of biblical allusions here that show that that this is uh, about the kingdom of God. In fact, one chapter before this in the Gospel of Matthew uh, is a very famous passage in which Jesus asks his uh, disciples, Who do men say that I am? And of course the answers are various, you know, some say you're the prophet, some say you're Elijah, come in the flesh, some say you are a holy person, some say you're the reincarnation of Elijah, whatever whatever that might be. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, empowered by the Holy Spirit, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon son of Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but our Father who is in heaven and then a few verses later Jesus says there are those among you who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God coming with power now some interpret that, some biblical interpreters interpret that to I think of Albert Schweitzer particularly who was famously wrong on this passage who said that this uh, showed that Jesus was incorrect about his mission because the kingdom of God did not come with power? It, you know he goes to the cross after after this. But in fact, Mr. Schweitzer has missed the whole point because where the kingdom of God is coming with power is right here in this feast of the Trans- experience of the transfiguration. In fact, uh, it says, uh, in Matthew, it says six days later. In Luke, though, in Luke chapter 9, in his account of the transfiguration, Luke uses the phrase, on the eighth day after this. Now, there's not really a contradiction. If you, depends on how you count this. Today is, is today one, or is today zero. You know, if you count tomorrow as one, two, three, four, five, six, then you can get to on the eighth day, or if you count today, one, two, three, four, then then it would be six, you see, and then, then it would be the eighth. But what is the eighth day? The eighth day itself is a sign of the Kingdom of Heaven. When was Jesus raised from the dead? Trick question. What day of the week? We will always say the first day of the week, right? But is that really true? Well, yes. But it's also the eighth day, the day after the Sabbath, the day after the finishing of the old creation and the establishment of the new creation and the resurrection of Christ is that which transforms death into life and which establishes permanently the kingdom of God. And this event of the transfiguration is the revelation of the nature of the kingdom of God. And in fact, Jesus himself, in the very last verse of the gospel, if you were listening, you might have picked up on it, he said, Tell no one about this until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. All of this is connected to the power of the resurrection, which tells us that the kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of God is brought by God into this world to transform it, to make it new, to be a revelation of God himself. And so what is happening here is not just a cool vision that Peter and James and John are having, but a connection to the Kingdom of God. Now let's look at this event just a little bit more carefully. What is happening here? Well, they go up to a mountain. Mountains are very significant in the scriptures. Uh, God meets people on mountains. The people of Israel on Mount Sinai, right? In the wilderness. Elijah had his fantastic... In fact, that's really important in this passage, right? Because. Moses and Elijah show up and they met God where? On a mountain. They and Jesus and Peter and James and John have gone up on a mountain. Mount Tabor instead of Mount Sinai, but still a mountain. So they, are, uh, they go up there and then suddenly before them a miracle happens. Now it's not that something new is added to Jesus at this point. They begin to see him shine and glow and with the brightness of light. But what is that light? The light is the glory of God Himself. God is light and in Him is no darkness. The Nicene Creed uses the phrase when describing our Lord Jesus Christ that He is light of light. True God of true God. That's not talking about the physical light as much as it is, it is talking about the, the shining of the glory of God Himself. But how long has Jesus had this glory? From eternity. Therefore, it's not something added to Him, but it is has been something that has been masked to a certain extent to the to the world. Now there have been inklings as to who this is in th- that is uh, speaking, that is acting. Uh, miracles like healing the blind, raising the paralyzed, you know, th- those are things that are not done by ordinary people. They are done by the power of God. So those, you know, the walking on the water, water into wine, all of those things we believe and we know have have occurred but that's an expression of the power of God. So it was there but those of his disciples were probably looking for a different kind of manifestation of the power of God. They were looking for a Messiah who would set up a uh, political kingdom, who would be like David, who would go out and conquer the enemies, especially the hated Romans and establish a a kingdom there in Israel. And so this this shining forth of the glory of God reveals uh, in Christ, reveals who Christ really is and where that power is coming from. And it begins to change their idea and understanding of what the nature of the kingdom is. Now who's also there? Moses and Elijah. Who are they? Well, Moses was the one who brought the law, the old law that he received on Mount Sinai. Uh, Elijah was the great prophet who faced down the prophets of Baal and was uh, the one who demonstrated that God is God in Israel. And even though he felt like uh, he had been abandoned. There were still 6,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal and Israel, he was told. But he he became the, the prophetic figure. And remember, the prophecy, it said, one like Elijah will come to demonstrate the reality of the coming of the Messiah. So Moses represents the the law and Elijah, the prophets, All of whom are what? Focused on Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is leading forward to its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the coming of the Kingdom of God. Now further, Moses died, right? He didn't make it into the Promised Land. He died. What happened to Elijah though? He was taken up into heaven in this great fiery chariot. That would have been awesome to see, right? My my uh, grandson Gregory might have liked to have seen that. You know, seeing a flaming fire of that might be cool. Uh, but he he did not die. That's the key point here, right? He was taken into heaven, much like um, uh, Enoch. We believe also too. So these represent the living. Elijah represents the living, and Moses also the dead. The law and the prophets, the living and the dead. All of which are pointing to Christ, who's coming as... So Peter is overwhelmed by this, and he says, let's build tabernacles. Now, you know, we might think this is kind of strange. world do you want to build little booths with these branches for. I mean, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it it was the Feast of Booths which in the Old Covenant was the celebration of the coming of the Kingdom of God. The presence of God with his people. The booth really was the Tabernacle itself. The Tabernacle, the place where God dwelt. And God showed his presence, how at the Tabernacle? Well, during the daytime by a cloud, right? at night time by the pillar of fire. What is happening here at the in the mountain? Light, great light, a cloud, the presence of God and so Peter's thought goes back to the kingdom of God and the feast of the booth. And he said, okay that's it, this is the kingdom, let's build a booth, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Jesus. Now he's still a little misunderstanding because he hasn't quite got Jesus in the right place. So the voice of God speaks from heaven to clarify things. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And then what happened? It all vanishes, and they saw none but Jesus only. Jesus is himself the tabernacle. Now, uh, John, who was a witness of this event, you heard Peter's writing about it in his epistle, during the epistle reading, but John also says, and the word, the eternal word of God, became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now the word in English is often translated dwelt among us, but it's skinny. It's, it's literally tabernacled. He is the tabernacle. Jesus uses the phrase about his own body. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he's speaking about his body. What is a temple? It is the dwelling place of God. So Jesus is the dwelling place of God on earth. He is the tabernacle. He is the kingdom. The king and the dom are not separated. He is the presence of, of God and that is really what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is not located in a particular physical location. It is the entry of God into every part of his creation, into everything, transforming it into a a, a revelation of himself. And it begins in the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation then changes the relationship that God has with every created thing. Everything can become a means by which the grace of God is brought into the world. We are here today primarily to partake of the Eucharist, right? To partake of the body and blood of Christ, which is bread and wine that is transformed by the power of God into being the presence of Christ with us and we partake of Him and that changes us from the inside out. It begins to to heal us and what then are we? We are tabernacles. We are stones built into the temple of God. We are the place where the kingdom is and Jesus even says that. The kingdom of God is where? Within you. The kingdom of God is wherever God is. So the goal that Christ has in coming into the world is not to set up a kingdom, not to politically change things, not to set up a utopian society upon the earth, which I despair will ever happen, given the nature of humans. (laughs) This side of the second coming of Christ. But what can happen and does happen is the healing of our nature, is the forgiveness of our sins, of the strengthening of our capacity to love, of our ability to uh, be holy, of our ways of being able to serve one another, to love God and to love our neighbor. And that begins to transform us, you see. But it is in this vision that we, in union with Christ, become filled with his glory and transfigured with his glory that makes the kingdom of God live. St. Herman's Church, you see, is the kingdom of God, here. It is the place where God is dwelling. He's Not so much the building, the building is great, beautiful. But the dwelling of God is in each and every one of you. And that's where the transformation takes place, from the inside out. The Icon of the Transfiguration is one of my favorites. I actually put it up in my study in the center of the Icon uh, collection that I have there that's rather growing. But uh, for one reason, and that is because I, I, I want to be reminded of what God intends me to become. He intends me to become like Him. If I can look at Him, if I can gaze upon Him, if I can see His light, if I can recognize my sinfulness and repent, then maybe the grace of God can reach even a sinner like me and in the transfiguration icon of Christ, I have hope. St. John, again a witness, right, of this event, said, Beloved, we are children of God now, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, when he appears, Christ our God appears, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The vision. We see him, we embrace him, we allow him to work in us, and we become transformed into that which we see. Into Christ himself. Into little Christ's by His grace. We, as St. Gregory Palamas says, by his, we become by grace what Christ is by nature. And that's what's revealed in this glorious feast. Open your heart to the kingdom of God. Open your heart to the love of God. Allow Him to heal you, to fill you, to transform you, to make you new. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.